On the Record with Gavin Riley. Brought to you by PwC on News Talk. We've also been digesting some of the political opinion polls of the last week. There was one in the Irish Times during the week which put the Labour Party on 3%. There's another one on the Business Post this morning and online which puts them on about 4%. Their leader, Ivana Bacic, also ended up embroiled in a dispute with the Iranian ambassador in, in Ireland. And as a result, we thought it would be a good opportunity to talk to the Labour leader, Ivana Bacic, and get going through all those various political issues and also looking at the more global ones. So you're very welcome to the show. Thanks very much, Emmett. Thank you for inviting me on. Yeah, we'll get to Iran in a few minutes because there's a few domestic things that we'd always like to, to get your thoughts on. First of all, I suppose something you'd be you'd be well plugged into, which is the latest opinion polls. A, a little bit disappointing, I think it's fair to say, for Labour. Uh, oscillating between 3 and 4%, depending on which one you read. There was one in the Sunday Times and this morning and overnight there's been the Business Post Red Sea poll. So, uh, you know, it's it's either 3 or 4%. Either, neither are great. What's, what's your reaction? You, you must be pretty disappointed to see there's just not huge momentum there for Labour at the moment. Well, I suppose, Emmett, I've been in politics long enough to, re, you know, I suppose to appreciate that polls can be very up and down. What we're seeing at the moment is a real volatility in a poll, in polls in terms of satisfaction ratings with government and so on. I think most people are very fearful about the coming winter, about the cost of living crisis, the energy crisis, and of course about the housing crisis, which is really hurting so many people currently. And, you know, we did welcome the government's winter eviction ban, but it really came very late in the day and we're very... Uh, really keen to ensure that government will use the time over the winter to ensure that there will be measures put in place to prevent people going into homelessness, any more people going into homelessness when the eviction ban is lifted in the spring. So I think what we're seeing with the polls is, you know, a a good deal of discontent, but a good deal of fear and concern as well about what's ahead. And certainly for us in Labour, you know, my focus since I've become leader in just, as as you know, in a a very short few months has been really to rebuild and to grow the party. I've been travelling around the country and meeting with our local members, our great team of councillors. We have 56 councillors nationally and many more local area reps. And, you know, my my key um, ambition and goal is to build the party and to ensure that we have uh, a really good, uh, um, you know, team of of councillors and of candidates for the next local election. Yeah, I was looking at it. Yeah, we'll be doing that. So we're getting great support around the country and we have a huge grassroots membership, I suppose, that's often missed perhaps as well in the opinion poll. Yeah. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm positive about our prospects, I must say that. We yeah, I was surprised because um, I was looking back at some of the history of this and I had a look over uh, Brendan Howland's time and Alan Kelly and, and you know, you're, you're as you say yourself, you're not doing any worse than anyone else, but it's been down around that level for a good few years. I think I've got a quote from uh, a good few years ago, Brendan Howland was saying 6.5% was very disappointing. So is, what do you put it down to? I mean, is it just that Sinn Féin in particular have locked up a lot of the potential Labour Party support that it's it's just not up for grabs. They've blocked it off and Labour don't seem to be able to sort of elbow their way in at the moment. Well, as I say, you know, I'm in this for the long haul. I've been a party member for some decades, in fact, first joined when I was 18. So I've seen uh, polls come and go for us and indeed for other parties too. You know, my focus is on rebuilding the party, on ensuring that we strengthen our communication, strengthen our message. And indeed, you know, as I travel around the country meeting our members, that we're recruiting new candidates, that we're, you know, we're getting lots of new people joining, which is wonderful. And, you know, that we're just really, I suppose, putting the message out there as we did so successfully 
successfully in the Dublin Bay South by-election last summer, that we are offering an alternative, that there is an alternative to the right-wing politics of Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael on the one hand and Sinn Féin on the other. And what we saw in the by-election, confounding the pollsters, was that there's real support for that constructive, positive, centre-left, social democratic message of change. And, you know, I suppose if I'd listened to polls, I, 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 think I know, I you wouldn't get out of bed in the morning, I suppose. It's, well, it's I difficult. Run in the well, yeah. But look, put it this way, I wouldn't have run in the by-election. And I no. think, you know, we were, certainly Labour was written off last summer. But as we know, you know, the, the result in that by-election in Dublin Bay South showed there is real a real appetite for change, but for a positive construction vision, constructive vision of change. And that's what Labour uniquely can offer as the political wing of the trade union movement, as the party that's always been associated with such strong policies, particularly on workers' rights, on jobs, on good jobs. You know, but we're also putting forward really good policies on care, on climate, on housing. And these are the issues that are resonating with voters wherever I go. And I was in Galway and Ennis last week. They don't seem to be usually resonant, you have to admit, if you're at the 4%. But maybe it's the typical Irish thing where people say nice things to you personally, but it it may not necessarily translate into into the numbers. But what I did notice... what I did notice in the by-election. Sure, true. If I could just um, just break down the support a bit, I don't know if you'd agree with me, but when you look at the Labour Party support, you notice two things. One is it's, it's very urban, like very strongly urban skewed. And also I noticed that it's quite well established among middle income groups in particular in terms of the demographics. Do you think they're your, your weak spots, the, the, the rural piece, and then also people on lower incomes don't seem to find the message resonating with them? Or, or Would you identify those as the two areas you need to most work on? Well, again, I mean, I've been a Labour member and activist for a long time. And as long as I can remember, we've been accused of, you know, of, of appealing only to certain sectors of the of the electorate. But the reality is in the by-election last summer, we got a strong Labour vote out across Dublin Bay South from Ringsend to Rathmines to Rathgar and all in between. So, you know, we have, uh, we have a strong track record across the country, not just in urban areas. I'm thinking of my great colleagues like Brendan Howland in Wexford, of course, Sean Sherlock in Cork, Jed Nash in Drogheda. You know, we have strong, and Mark Wall, of course, in Kildare. So we have strong candidates across the country. And we'll be building, as I say, we've, you know, we're recruiting new candidates and we're very hopeful of running a really good ticket of candidates across the country in the local elections in 2024 and indeed in the general election, whenever that may be. And I see the opinion polls suggesting people don't want to see one, an early general election. But of course, one never knows when that will be. So we're also getting ready for that. We're preparing our candidates for whenever the general election will take place. We'll be ready for it. Now, the other, the other, I suppose, challenge you have is is getting access. Do do you find just media access is a problem? You're obviously on this program now, but do you find it hard to get the Labour message out there when, as you say, we're in a polarised world where there's Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael and the Greens on one side, and there seems to be the framing of it at least as Sinn Féin on the other side. You're kind of caught out in in that setup. Is that a problem for you? Just trying to get the message into the right places. Well, look, you know, every smaller party, of course, has um, doesn't have the same level of access to the airwaves, I suppose, as bigger parties. And that's the, the nature of democracy. That's fine. You know, I, I, I think we punch above our weight in terms of media coverage. Our great housing spokesperson, Senator Rebecca Moynihan, is very, uh, very uh, uh, frequently heard on the airwaves, as are Marie Sherlock, Annie Howey, all our, Aona Reardon, all our team. So I think that, in fact, our Labour voice and our Labour message is coming through strongly. And we certainly do make sure we 
try and, and you know, uh, take media opportunities when they come. But of course, it is the nature of democracy, as I say, that bigger parties and, you know, with more uh, Oireachtas members will, of course, uh, get more of a share in the media. That's to be expected. Well, just to round off on that one. So the 4%, your, your kind of immediate reaction to that figure, I mean, is it disappointing? Is it is there, is there a regret? What's your, what's your, just your sense of that 4% figure as the leader of the party? Well, Emmett, as I say, what I do is I look at, take polls in the round. I, you know, I, do, I think that the main thing is to keep going on the trajectory we're on of growing the party nationally. You know, I'll be in Limerick next week and, uh, and, uh, I'll be traveling around then some of the Dublin constituencies in the, uh, in November and December. And, you know, my focus is on rebuilding and growing us. So, you know, I don't get too concerned about individual polls. You know, there is, there are, uh, oh, you know, we look at them over time for sure. But, but over you time, know. they're, they're around that three or four. That's what I'm saying. The long term well, trend I've, is. I've only been leader as I say for six months so you know for now I'm focusing on growing and building the party and uh, and you know we'll take polls as they come okay. but we won't get too uh, too distracted by them because the real focus is on building our slate of candidates for the locals and of course for okay. the general and as we saw on the Dublin Bay South by-election opinion polls aren't always right. We, we'll, we'll see long term where they go. Let's shift you on to uh, your attention if we can onto other political developments. One particular one is leading the Sunday Independent and it's in a few other outlets as well is the position of Ono Brin, the housing spokesman of Sinn Féin, he, he's come out and he said that he said at a conference about a month ago that the chief economist of the Department of Finance should effectively resign. Now, he has, to be fair, he has resigned from that position, but he is still saying that he doesn't think that that particular individual should be allowed to give advice to any government, whether it's the future or current, on housing policy. What do you think of, first of all, the comments on the particular civil servant in the Department of Finance? What Would you say that Mr Deputy O'Brien should withdraw the remarks in full or, or where do you stand on this? I think it's very dangerous to see a senior uh senior TDs, senior deputies or senators uh, taking personalised attacks against individual civil servants. I think it's very dangerous. I think in the history of the Irish state, we've seen a very strong, very independent civil service, a very professional civil service with our senior civil servants having, you know, really served the country well. But also, you know, they are not taking political decisions in the way that ministers are. Ministers are politically accountable. And I think it's a dangerous development to see senior frontbench opposition uh, uh, deputies she's taking personal attacks against Do you think he should clear it up sense. even further? It's sort of there's still an issue hanging out there in terms of you know commenting on this civil service. Do you think it should be more clarified yet again over the next 24 hours by deputy? Yes, I, th- I think he should withdraw the remark. I'm glad he's resiled from it, I must say that. I think he's, he's pulled back, but I think he should withdraw the remark. Just to extend that out a little bit, obviously the last few weeks, last fortnight in particular, have been dominated by Sinn Féin, should they do more interviews? Are they being held accountable by the media? Are equally, are the media pillaring them? It seems to be a very hostile relationship between the two sides at the moment. We've got this Shane Ross book, a biography of Mary Lou MacDonald. Where do you stand on all of that? I mean, first of all, do you you think they need to be held more accountable in your view? Presumably you do. But what do you make of Shane Ross's book in particular? Have Have you read a copy of it? Do you think there are questions to be answered there? Do you think it's it's not a good book? Or where, where do you stand on all of that? <laughs> I'll, I'll reserve my judgment on the book, Emmett, until I've read it. I haven't had a chance to read it yet. Um, well, you know, I think... I suppose what concerns me somewhat is to see, you know, uh, extensive use of, of uh, defamation laws by by elected representatives. I think we are in we are public figures. It it is 
it, you know, it, there is there is a level of accountability that has to be there in the media. You know, media scrutiny is not always comfortable, of course, but it it it's but at the same time, it's hugely necessary and important in a democracy. And you know, there's been a long-standing critique of our libel laws as being too stifling of free expression. Uh, to um, to uh, imposing too many, I suppose, restrictions on reporting, and uh, and I and I think it's just worrying to see um, elected representatives, you know, taking to litigation extensively, uh, and you know there is a concern I think that that may close off some media scrutiny, that it may reduce the layers of levels of accountability that have to be there, particularly when you have one very big opposition party. You know, of course, they should be held. Uh, they should be held under media scrutiny in the same way that government parties are too, and indeed any party. But particularly when you have a very big opposition party. Just to clarify, you, you've never taken any actions, have you, against media from a defamation perspective? No, I haven't. Just I have to, been. Tre- I have it's been an obvious, threatened. but we need to. Kind of, uh, I, no, no. Thank you. Thank you. No, but, to clarify, I've never sued any media outlet, but I have been threatened with libel actions for uh, for comments on media. So. Yeah, yeah and it's, it's certainly it's, it's a chilling it's a chilling feeling you know it's a very chilling feeling I, no I've never been sued but I've been threatened and <laughs> neither, it, it, sued, it, nor, yeah, neither sued or been sued right that's where that's where you're at it sounds like um, let me well, move on to uh, the ostensible reason we wanted to bring you on uh, Deputy Patrick and that is to talk about Iran we've seen a, an increase in intensity in the protests and they're very much nationwide they're not just uh, reserved to Tehran and you, you got involved in this during the week you, you said that you believe that the international community needs to do more to support these protests, to support these women. Uh, you were then, I suppose, I mean, you were taken on pretty strongly by the Iranian ambassador here to Ireland. Where does that uh, spat with the two of you rest or where are things on that at the moment? Well, I mean, clearly this is a hugely serious issue. It is just so distressing to see what is happening in Iran currently. Since the uh, brutal, uh, brutal treatment of Masa Amini, the young 22-year-old woman who died on 16th September, having been detained by the so-called morality police in Iran for wearing, allegedly wearing a headscarf improperly. I mean, it was shocking to see, to see, first of all, to see her tragic, tragic death, and then to see the brutal treatment by the Iranian police and authorities of those who protested against her killing and death. Um, And, you know, I spoke at a vigil organised by Iranian students in Trinity uh, just in the last few weeks, and I was, again, it's really disturbing to see how fearful they are. They don't want to see, have their identities disclosed, and these are students here in Ireland because of the reprisals that may occur against their families. So I'm very familiar with the situation. I spoke in the Dáil on the 19th of October to say, to, to ask the Taoiseach, would he consider cutting diplomatic ties with Iran? Because at that point, we had seen documented cases of, of such brutal treatment, killings, beatings, detention, uh, allegedly killings of over 200 protesters since the killing of Amasa Amini on 16th September. So I spoke in the Dáil on 19th October. And on the 25th October, I received, as you say, Emmett, a very, very disturbing letter from the Iranian ambassador suggesting to me that I had been guilty of exaggeration in my emotive expressions and suggesting yeah. I had no evidence in my loaded comments. So you, 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 don't need to be, you don't need to be worried about Sinn Féin. You're more worried about the Iranian ambassador sending you missives. <laughs> Well, look, you know, I mean, it certainly was an unusual occurrence to have a, a an ambassador here writing to an elected representative, you know, and, and expressing in such strong critique of what I had said in the doll. So I've written back to the ambassador and, and to say that, first of all, I'm not sure his comments are, are um, first of all, you know, to disagree entirely with what he says and to say that, of course, these, these are documented killings, these, the brutal treatment of protesters is now well known. The BBC reporting just today, Emmett, that uh, 
we're seeing you know a fresh wave of of protests and of and of arrests in Iran just in the last two days. So, you know, clearly there's a huge amount of reporting restrictions on what's happening there, but we are seeing really disturbing uh, footage and disturbing uh, reporting. And, when, where, and where do you where do you think it's all going? I mean, obviously we we had events like the Arab Spring where eventually things got snuffed out. You know those big social movements across the Middle East. Here, this is a different type of movement. But are you worried that just the, the sheer level of repression practiced against the protesters will will eventually just mean that it withers away, or, or do you think it's different this time around? It's very hard to know. I mean, certainly the protests seem to be hardening into a much stronger anti-government feeling now, whereas initially it was about the rights of women and girls and the rights to uh, to wear what, you know, to, the, the right not to be so repressed by the morality police. But it seems now that the protests are actually spreading and strengthening and becoming more generally anti-government. Um, you know, I think we all have to just stand in solidarity with the people of Iran against the brutal repression of the regime. And again, you know, I've appealed to the Taoiseach to take stronger action and, and indeed to the uh, Minister for Foreign Affairs to take stronger action to speak out in the Security Council against Iran to take any action we can at EU level on sanctions and of course to cut diplomatic ties ourselves with Iran which I do believe we should do and to expel the ambassador. Okay well listen very interesting obviously that goes into the pot with what's going on in Ukraine as well and we haven't got a chance to mention that because of time but thank you for now there's the leader of the Labour Party who is Deputy Ivana Batchik. Thank you very much for joining us here on On The Record this afternoon. Now we want to... We also want to retain the focus on the Iranian situation, the massive repression, live fire even being used against some of the protesters there. So we have with us now Borzu Draghi, who is the international correspondent of The Independent, to bring us up to speed. Borzu, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Thank you for joining us. Um, we're getting a lot of, it's, it's, as my previous guest just said there, it's quite hard to get good, undistilled information where you can find out what's happening. We've seen some reports there's been live fire used in certain centres. There's obviously a lot of talk in the United Nations about the situation on the ground in Iran. Where, where, what is the trajectory of these protests? Well, what, what are you hearing at the moment? Well, it's hard to say, as your previous guest said, where it's going. Um, where we are now is in uncharted territory. Many expected these protests to fizzle out, maybe to rise again um, in, a, in a few weeks or months or something. Uh, but they've continued and uh, momentum goes up and down depending on the day. Some days are uh, lighter uh, in, in terms of protests and violence. Some days are, are more severe. Um, but every day there's something. It is nonstop. It is quite extraordinary. On campuses today, for example, there are uh, quite dramatic confrontations between students and armed uh, uh, pro-government militiamen who sometimes they pretend to be students um, and, and sometimes they're just plainclothes security officials uh, who are coming in. And, uh, you know, there's there's footage of fighting and, and clashes and so on. This has gone beyond. Of course, women are at the vanguard of it. The issue of the hijab uh, uh, women's headscarf is the, the kind of focal issue and the main issue. Um, but it's gone beyond that and has become a general um, I don't want to say the word revolution because we don't know, but it's 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 an uprising against the Islamic Republic. Now, apart from repression and, and as you said, using live fire in certain instances, which is, is utterly terrifying. And what are the regime doing? I mean, apart from having that security response, which they're they're pretty good at in, in a grim way. What are they trying to in any way accommodate themselves to any of the issues that the protesters are bringing up? Are they just setting their face against it completely? What is the regime's stance at this stage? 
They're doubling down on their stance. You see um, uh, pro-regime clergy and politicians saying that we will not relent uh, on the issue of the hijab, um, that this is a, and, and you had a, a really nasty uh, and, and somewhat terrifying report, joint report by the Minister of Intelligence and the Revolutionary Guard issued Friday, describing the entire episode as a CIA uh, and other foreign-backed plot. So from the very beginning, that, that according to this report by the main intelligence uh, uh, organizations of the Islamic Republic, this was all just a scheme, all just a conspiracy. None of it is authentic. All of it is manufactured by the West. Um, and that is a prelude to even harsher repression. Now, the other issue that has Iran in the international headlines, and again, I don't know if there's a connection within Iran, but the whole idea of arming Russia, particularly with these drones that are being used on Ukrainian cities, does that feature in any of this? Is that like an entirely separate issue that the regime is dealing with? Or are they, is that sort of stuff bubbling into the surface as well? I mean, I think that uh, Iran's foreign policy is a an issue that gives Iranians a lot of embarrassment and shame, and that is one of the things that's feeding into this uprising. Um, I think that the um, calculation that Iran can, uh, the, that the government can just ignore the the requests of the people and just start doing certain types of business, including selling uh, weapons to uh, outlaw nations like Russia uh, uh, in order to make up for its uh, otherwise international isolation. I think that plays into it. Definitely. They're selling the weapons. They're ramping up their nuclear program. They're ignoring kind of uh, uh, attempts at kind of normalizing the country because they think they can get away with it by selling weapons to Russia and other countries. Now, Borzo, before I let you go, because we're under a bit of time pressure, uh, is there any debate from your vantage point within the regime? Are we to- Is there hawks and doves or is everyone, is everyone hawks? I mean, is no, there any, is there, is there anyone, debate. is there any reformist yes. sentiment out there at all? Or what, what do you yeah, think? There, there is, yes. Within the regime, there are arguments um, there are discussions. Some people are saying we have to relent a little bit, but uh, the hardliners have the upper hand. The Revolutionary Guard is is you know dominating the debate. And yes, there is debate, but it's it's the the outcome does not appear to be in favor of what the people want. Okay, well, listen, it's it's going to go on for months. That's the sense that I'm getting across from you, and we'll we'll keep an eye out here on the record and across news talk. It's it's a massive regional conflict that could be happening. Big democratic movement. So thank you very much, Borzu Draghi. He is the international correspondent at the Independent. On the record with Gavin Riley, Sunday morning at eleven. Brought to you by PwC. Great minds think unalike. Different skill sets, diverse opinions, it all adds up to the new equation on News Talk.